0: In Isaiah 61, Jesus declared that He had been sent to bring freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we see His power to set free those that were imprisoned by their own sin and those that were oppressed by the sins of others. When Jesus died and rose again, He destroyed the power of sin once and for all, giving us free access to the love and power of God. In this Set Free series, we will provide the tools for each of us to identify the lies we have believed, to take hold of the truth that Jesus offers and learn to walk in the power of the Spirit. Jesus came to set us free from whatever stops us living in the fullness of God's love and power. That Hey Set Free series kicks off today. I'm really excited about what God wants to do in us and through us in these coming weeks. Just a real sense that some of us have carried some things our whole life that we've just become so accustomed to that's become part of our story. And we've even given up hope that God might be able to put his finger on it and do something about it. And uh, so we walk into this series in confidence that God wants to actually place some of us in community and in relationship that are going to help us walk through some of the battles that we have that maybe we've tried to do our whole life all alone. But I also just have faith to believe that for some of us, God just wants to do a miracle in your life in a moment. And so I want to invite us as a church. I know it's not something all of us are that comfortable with always, but if you just sense God speaking into your life, if you sense that there's a moment or a topic that we touch on in this next six weeks that is very true and very real for you, I want to just encourage you to have the courage to step forward and allow God to do what God does best. Receive prayer from our prayer team and and respond to the nudgings and the promptings of His Holy Spirit. Because what have you got to lose? Really, the, the encouragement is one of an invitation into a new day and a new freedom in your life. And it's not something any of us here can conjure up, even though God puts us in community with others to walk that journey with us. But it's only something that God can do in your life. And I'm just believing and trusting that he's going to do a really good thing. So why don't we pause for a moment as I pray, as we launch into this, we're going to jump into the word. God, I want to thank you that your dream for us, that your vision for us, that your future for us is a future of freedom. God, you sent your son into this world, not to condemn us, not to allow us to live with the guilt and the condemnation of the things that we've done or the things we've experienced or the things that affect our life, but to bring freedom into our life. And Jesus, you are the story of freedom. I want to pray over this next six weeks for all of us. God, all of us have got things that hold us back. All of us have got things that we manage our life around. Father, I want to pray that you would do a miraculous and a deep work in all of our lives. But God, for some here in this season, I know they're just coming and they're leaning in, God, because they are desperate for a touch from heaven. They are just desperate to see this thing that they've carried for so long broken. And I want to pray that, God, you would do a mighty work in our hearts and our minds in these coming days and weeks. Thank you that you are gracious. You are compassionate. You are kind. You are gentle with us in every way. And God, may that be our our experience of you and each other in this season of church. In Jesus' name, amen. I love watching that video. Who loves going to the beach? The beach is one of those places for me. I go to retreat because there's something for me when I walk onto the sand and I hear the waves crashing and the sea air is just different. I don't know what it is, but it's almost like as I breathe the sea air and as I feel the sand on my feet that just the stress and the anxiety of life just seems to diminish significantly for me. It's why we do a lot of holidays as a family at the beach, because I love the beach. I love staring out over the ocean, as Ben did in that video, and just... Uh, glimpsing just the endlessness of the ocean and just even though there's a rhythmic consistency to the waves coming in, there's something incredibly refreshing for me about being at the beach. One of the things I love about the beach is that every time you walk onto the beach, every new day that you walk onto the beach, it feels like a fresh start is given. Uh, I love 4 driving on the beach. Enjoy fishing. I wouldn't say I'm a great fisherman, but I enjoy fishing. And so, over recent years, have uh, found some opportunities to learn to drive my four-wheel drive on the beach. We had some bad times at the start as I learnt that, but we've uh, got a little bit more confident in that. And I love driving down onto the beach at the end of a day of driving on the beach, whether you go to Stradbroke or Morton Island or down the north coast of New South Wales. Some, aspects, some parts of the beach are just completely chewed up with tyre tracks and it becomes a little bit harder to drive because there's ruts everywhere and there's soft sand everywhere. And you can look at a photo like the one that's on the screen at the moment and the beach looks like that and you can go back up to your campsite, but next morning, guess what? The tide's coming in overnight and it's a blank canvas all over again. Those tyre tracks have been washed away. The canvas has been smoothed out and it's like there was nobody there. So can you walk up the beach and you can see your footprints? And you can see, I, I, this, this tells you more about problems I've got than any of you, but I like looking at the way different people walk by their footprints. There's people that kind of rest back on their heels. There's people that scrape their toes. There's people that have incredibly gigantic step. Like it's just, you can analyze something about someone by their footprints on the beach, but you know that when you return the next day, whatever path you've walked in life is going to be cleared away and you're going to get to start again. Many of us at some time walking on the beach have picked up a stick and in a moment of romantic, just being overwhelmed by a romantic thought, have drawn a love heart or have drawn somebody's name on the beach and we've put our name with it, you know, AM4 something, And then, you know, we're just overwhelmed by that. And we've written the name of someone that we love in the sand. Now, many of us are really glad that the beach covers that over because, you know, we did that with young love. And now the person that we're married to or we're dating or that is really important in our life is not the initials that we wrote way back when. So we're thankful that the beach and the waves have a capacity to smooth the sand out and give us a clean slate. Wouldn't it be great if life was like that? Wouldn't it be great if everything we did, every decision we made, every statement we uh, made, every track that we walked on that we didn't want to see again could get washed away. And the next day you wake up, the sun's risen, the tides come in, and we have a blank canvas in which to write a brand new story. Wouldn't it be wonderful if life was like that? I want to contest though, for many of us, it doesn't feel like life is like that. It doesn't feel like the young love that we professed in the sand got washed away, thankfully, because it didn't create any problems for our future, our girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever. Some of us, though, in our youthful exuberance didn't write our name in the sand. We found some wet concrete somewhere and we wrote our love and expressed it in the middle of a footpath in the middle of town, overwhelmed by youthful exuberance and romantic love. And now we spend our whole life avoiding taking our future husband or wife down that particular path because it's there, set in concrete for all to see. And I reckon for a whole bunch of us, it feels like that is more like what our choices are. Not like the waves on the beach, but like firm concrete. We've done some things and no matter what we do to avoid them, no matter what we do to uh, write over them, they're there in concrete for all to see. And so we spend our life avoiding those paths. And some of the choices, some of the mistakes we've made, don't just wash away simply with the tide. Some of the choices that we've made that were just a moment or just a bad decision or were just done while we were under the influence of something or were just done while we were overwhelmed with romantic emotion and lustful love, whatever we want to call it. Some of those decisions in a moment now stick as part of our story and we know there's no simple way to overcome them or get rid of them. And we know that because, you know, in our, our tired moments or our weak moments or our dark moments or when we close our eyes at night and we start to think that life's going okay, in instantly that memory comes back into us and we start to think of that really stupid thing we did way back there that still affects us today. Or maybe that really stupid thing you did isn't that far back there. Maybe that really stupid thing you did was just last week or last night or somewhere. But you know that it doesn't just disappear from our life. We carry stuff. Everybody carries stuff. If we go back to the very beginning of the scripture, to the book of Genesis, I love the book of Genesis and some of the lessons that we can draw from it. If we go back to the very beginning of scripture, there's a verse that I reckon we skip past quite often in the telling of the creation account in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell the story of creation from different perspectives. And Genesis 2 has a real focus on God's creation of humankind. And right at the end, the very last verse of Genesis chapter two says this when it's describing Adam and Eve, the first uh, humans that God had created. It says this about Adam. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. Now we read past that and we probably just think, that's cool, I don't wanna visualize that for too long. I don't wanna think about that. But Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This is an incredible picture of God's intention for us, of the world that God had created, of the people that He had created, the world that He looked at and said it was good. Actually, the world He looked at and said it was very good when it came to completion. The community that was created when, when Adam and Eve came together in the community. God looked at that and said it was good. And how does He sum up the story? Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. Now, before you think that we're a a liberal church, that's going to suggest that heaven's going to be one giant nudist colony. I pray not for all of your sakes, but also for mine. But before you start thinking that, I want us to think of this verse, not as much in physical reality, but as a, a picture that's much, much deeper than just that. Because I think when the Bible wants to tell us that Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame, that it wants to say that this is the way God created us and always intended us to be. People that could live with complete transparency. Let's just get beyond the physical pictures for a moment. People that could live with complete transparency. People that could live with nothing to hide. People that had complete openness with those around them, not just other people, but the creation and God Himself. People that were exposed in every way, but accepted in every way. You see, when the Bible tells us that when God created people, they were naked and they felt no shame, it's because they had nothing to hide. There was nothing for them to feel shame about. There was complete openness, transparency, authenticity. When you saw somebody, you saw the complete picture of who and what they were. And that's the image that God has in mind for you and I. Again, move past the physical to get a sense of nakedness in the sense of everything exposed, but fully accepted. I mean, some of us just close our eyes now and think, man, I love the thought of somebody knowing everything about me, everything about me and being fully accepted in the midst of that. That was a a picture of God's perfect creation and God's perfect intention for you and I. That we could be completely ourselves, completely open, completely authentic, and in the midst of that, we felt no shame. But if we keep reading in the story, we know that things got messed up a little. And hold on to that verse for a minute Genesis 2, they were naked and felt no shame. Because in Genesis 3, we start to see how the human story unravels a little bit. And it's a story of what the Bible calls the fall, or the story of how sin or broken relationship with God entered the human story. And as the Bible tells it, Adam and Eve, it's all about a tree and it's all about fruit and it's all about them eating fruit that they were told not to eat. But really deeply down, it was all about rebellion and all about disobedience and all about people wanting to put themselves above God. That's really the first sin because the deception that's given to Adam and Eve is, Man, why is God telling you not to eat that fruit? He's just scared that when you are do, your eyes are gonna be opened, the Bible says, and you'll be able to know good from evil. In other words, people stopped trusting God to be their sustenance and their sufficiency and wanted to actually be kings and rulers and lords themselves. And so the Bible tells us this, that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, that their eyes were opened. The serpent was right. He said, your eyes will be opened, but their eyes were opened And what was the first thing they realized when their eyes were opened? That they were naked. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And God called to them, Where are you? And they said, We heard you in the garden, and we realized we were naked, and we were afraid of that, so we hid. And instantly God knows that something's changed in the nature of how people relate to one another and how people relate to Him. You see, the first reaction of people to sin was to cover and was to hide and was to blame. Eve goes, or Adam goes, she made me do it. Oh, I'm starkers. Get some leaves, sew together some clothes. Here comes God, let's go hide. See, what's the first reaction within us of the knowledge of sin in our life? is blame. Some of you do this all the time. All your problems are everybody else's fault. And sometimes the first step to us actually finding healing from our problems is owning them ourselves. But it's a natural human thing to blame somebody else. We hurt ourselves somewhere at someone else's fault. Something didn't go our way it's someone else's fault. Didn't get the marks we wanted, it's the teacher's fault. You now you get to work on time, it's the traffic. So it's always someone to blame. It's just a natural human reaction, but it's right there in the Bible, right in the very first chapters, that that's what Adam did, he blamed. But then beyond that, what was their next reaction to the awareness of sin in their life was covering it and hiding from God. See, this is what all of us continue to do. And this is the power of shame. Today, we wanna talk about this topic, shame. What does it mean to be set free from shame? Because all of us, I contest, would have something in our life that is not the first topic of conversation when we meet someone. I usually don't walk into a first social meeting with somebody and get a conversation beyond who you are, what's your family, what do you do for work and, you know, what are your interests? You know, someone walks up to you at a party and says, hey, let me just tell you about my addictions, let me tell you about my porn habit, let me tell you about the broken relationships I've got back there and the really bad financial decisions I've made. I've never had that socially at a party. If I got that socially at a party, I'd be usually going, can I just introduce you to my friends? And we get that. My point is, we've all got stuff that we are ashamed of. We've got parts of our story that we don't love to tell because they're things that we're embarrassed about or we're humiliated by or they're deep regrets that we hold. And so our first and natural response to those things in our life that build shame is to cover them and to hide from people and from God. And the things that we feel shame about are gonna be different for every one of us. For some of us, our shame is attached to relational things. In other words, we've got some stories that we don't like to talk about, about some relationships in our life that haven't gone so well. Now, for some of them, they may not be huge things. They might be friendships that have gone awry. They might be a blow up in our previous church we don't like to talk about. They might be between our siblings or with our parents, whatever it is. But for some of us, we're looking back and thinking, man, I don't want people to find out about my family because my family story is a messy one. I don't want people to hear about my marriage because it, isn't anymore. And I'm actually living a very different life today than the one I lived back there. Some of us are looking at our life and thinking, man, I don't want anyone to ask me a question that leads me having to tell you that I've actually done the wrong thing. I've actually, I've been, you know, I've had an affair or I've gone into a relationship I should never have gone into. You know, for some of us, shame is relational. For some of us, shame is financial. There's some of you here today I want to contest that don't like having people to your house because when people walk into your house there's stories attached to where you live and the state your house is in because maybe when they see it you feel the need to explain. Now I know it looks like we should probably be living a different story now but we made some really dumb financial decisions against good advice from other people or and we don't have a lot of stuff because I keep using lots of my money to fuel an addiction that I haven't dealt with yet. Or we've been very irresponsible with our money or we've invested really badly against good advice. Yeah, you know, for some of us, we carry shame financially. For some of us, we carry shame habitually. We've got addictions, addictions to substance or addictions to sex or addictions to pornography or addictions to food or addictions to something that we just really hope we never have to share with other people. For some of us, we actually carry some spiritual shame because we know our life is uh, just a litany of missed opportunities. When we think about the grace that God's poured out on us that we've known about for a really long time, we probably feel like we should be in a different place than the one we're in right now. We've been serving, we've been following Jesus for 20 years, but we haven't followed very far. We haven't actually ever given every, anything of our life to serve or help others. We're actually ashamed of where we stand spiritually. You see, all of us, all of us carry some things in our life that we're ashamed of. I want to contest that every one of us right now can think of some things that come into that category. And so if everyone carries that, well, what's the antidote to shame? Shame. See, shame only gets a stronghold in your life when you start to believe that it's not something to be dealt with, but it's something to be hidden. Shame only gets a stronghold in your life when we start believing it's not something to be dealt with, but something to be hidden. You know what, we're ashamed of things that we've done because they're things that we should be ashamed of. That's just a reality. But they only carry power in our life when our way of dealing with that is to hide it rather than to actually do something with it. There's a really important distinction because my landing point today isn't all those things in your past, don't be ashamed of them, they're okay. That's not actually what Jesus wants to tell us. He wants to say, though, covering it and hiding it is not the way to deal with it and to find freedom. We're ashamed of things that we've done because we should be ashamed. But hiding them and covering isn't the road to freedom. Every week in this series, there's going to be a little rhythm. I'll just let you in to the preaching rhythm of this series because it's gonna come out over the next six weeks. But we believe one of the ways that the Bible wants to help us find freedom is by doing a couple of things. One, helping us to identify the lie. You see, if we live our life by a lie, our identity, the choices we make, the way we interact with other people is affected by the lie that we've chosen to be the dominant narrative in our life. If we embrace the lie, it shapes our actions, our emotions, it impacts our relationships and ultimately it traps us. You see, the devil lies to us about our identity in Christ and the lie is always designed to distort our identity, to damage our lives and to diminish our power. Because if we believe the lie in our mind, we'll continue to behave according to the lie And our lives will be crippled by the sin that the lie speaks to. You know, to break the cycle of damaging behaviour in our lives, we need to start by identifying the lie that's distorting our identity and defining our lives. So we're going to talk in all these topics about what the lie that's in the sliver. Now, let me give you an example outside of shame that might help some of you, especially those of you that are parents. If your child who you dearly love and who is the most beautiful thing in your eye comes and starts saying to you, I am not beautiful. You say to them, why are you not beautiful? You're the most beautiful thing in the world. I am not beautiful. You know, like I, I never get chosen first at school. It's always the pretty kids that get chosen first at school. Now, someone at school the other day called me ugly. I am not beautiful. Now, as a parent, we stand and we look at that child and we think, man, that is just a lie. That is not true. You are the most beautiful thing that was ever created. But if that child continues to walk, holding that lie as the predominant narrative in their mind, it's actually gonna distort not only their identity, but it's gonna affect the way that they choose to live their life because they're basing it on a lie. It's the same when it comes to all the things we're gonna talk about over these coming weeks. And in shame, some of us actually can to the lie that says this, because I'm ashamed of my sin, I must hide it. You know, or I must hide because I'm ashamed of my sin. As I said before, sin is something that we are ashamed of. We wish that we could rewrite that part of history. It's never something we go, man, they were the best days of my life. But the the lie says that because we're ashamed of them, we need to hide or we need to hide the things that we've done. And when we live this lie out, we will never be free because shame causes us to do a whole bunch of things. I just want to pick on three this morning. Shame causes us to mask, to manage and to avoid. We talk regularly, people talk regularly about putting on a mask, but this whole idea of who we are when other people see us is so different from who we are when everything else is stripped away. And sometimes we choose to mask ourselves or we choose to create a persona in light of of what we've done so that others, when they encounter us, actually feel like we're a very different person to the one we know deep down drives our thoughts, our emotions and our actions. And so we turn up to church. I say, I want people to come to church just as they are. Now we don't like doing that. You know, we just kind of perk ourselves up and make ourselves look happy and smile at everyone. And when everyone says, how are you doing? We go, we're doing great. I'd love us to have the freedom, the authenticity in this place to walk in. Some days we do that, I understand, because we don't want to have that conversation with 130 people and we want to protect ourselves. But we live life like that. Some of us live our entire life like that. We, we need to get away sometimes because we just need to have a holiday from the image that we're so busy just building up in our own life. Man, everyone thinks we're the model you know, student or model parent or, or model pastor or, or, or model whatever that you live in. Then you walk away from that and you go, man, if people just really knew what was going on for me and some of the stupid things that I've got as part of my story, maybe they wouldn't love me and maybe they wouldn't accept me. You see, shame causes us to put masks on to create images and personas that aren't the way that God had created us to be and aren't actually true to who we are. It doesn't just cause us to mask, it actually causes us to manage. See, when we have areas and aspects to our life or obstacles that we've created that we're ashamed of, we spend our whole life trying to move people away from those things so they never run into that part of our story that we don't wanna ever talk about. I had a work colleague in just the last couple of weeks. Carefully how I start. They're like, mm, gateway staff member, what are they? I had a work colleague in the last couple of weeks that had asked me to do something for them. And uh, I agreed to it. It was a great thing they'd asked me to do. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll follow that up. And I gave them a time frame on it. And guess what? The timeframe and I hadn't done the task. For the next week, every time I saw that person in the office, I'm like, we are steering clear of that conversation. I'm not even going to ask a question that might lead down the track of that conversation. I actually am only really going to try and interact with that person in group settings when we can talk about football. It was football last week. It's now lawn bowls this week because that's my new sport after the origin on Wednesday night. (laughs) Where we can talk about just medial things because if he asks me, have I done what he asked me to do? I'm going to have to run away because the answer is no. Now, that was a very medial task that didn't actually affect too much. It's now done. I actually, went are now friends again. He had no idea that it took me so long, but he just has probably noticed the change. I'm happy to talk to him about this topic again. But the point is, some of us actually do that in our life. We have something in there that every time we get stuck in a situation. We try and manage things and manage people and manage relationships. And we, we like hanging out in big groups. And some of us have sat in the back of really big churches at times because we were really scared that someone was going to come and ask us that question about that thing that was going to really tell them what I'm really like. You see, well, whatever we buy to the lie that we must hide the things that we're ashamed of, we're going to mask, we're going to manage, we're going to avoid Some of you here have left friendships, you've left workplaces, you've left marriages, you've left churches because it was easier to run away than to confront or reveal the parts of us that we're ashamed of. And so we keep running to the next place where we can start afresh and everybody can think we got it together and we're okay. And maybe we're church number 17 in your list of churches. And at some point, people are going to get just a little bit too close and you're going to have to go find somewhere else. Maybe you're in a life or maybe you haven't even signed up for a life group because you don't even want to talk about the things that this series is going to uncover because you're just scared if people actually get to know you like you really are. And that's one of the lies that Satan wants us to buy into that everybody else has got it together. I want to guarantee across this week, six weeks, a series. And even in my topic today, nobody in this room has got it together. That's why we need Jesus. If we had it together, we wouldn't be preaching how Jesus' grace is sufficient for all of us. We'd be preaching how you know, Samuel's grace is sufficient because he's got everything together. Samuel's as close a model of togetherness in our church as you'll find. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. We mask, we manage, and we avoid. Here's the problem with shame, when we allow it to be hidden, is that we never find true freedom because shame's a thing that causes to keep people at a distance. It's the thing that, that causes us to keep our pain and our past hidden, not actually allowing the light that needs to shine on it that's actually gonna devoid it of the power that it has over us. And it's the thing that keeps God at a distance. And you know what, some of, for some of you, this is outworking in your spiritual life and I'll tell you how it is because this is a dialogue in your head. I will serve when I get my stuff together. I will pray when I get my stuff together. I will get baptised when I get my stuff together. I'll actually hang around and have lunch after church and talk to someone when I finally feel like I've got something I want to talk to them about. And this isn't just about, you know, extrovert, introvert now. This is actually some of you have got a dialogue in your head that says, when I get it all together, then I can step into the life that God wants me to live. I want to encourage some of you today that that's actually a really destructive dialogue to be having because you live that dialogue, you'll spend your whole life doing the one thing that God doesn't want us to do, which is trying to earn his favour and his salvation. His favour and his salvation is given to you from grace, not from obligation or not because you'll ever be good enough. So why waste your life? waiting till you get to that point. You'll never get to the point. It's time to start living, loving, serving, giving, turning up, investing in others. You see, one of the reasons that we allow shame to stay hidden is we don't want the things that we've done to be exposed into the light. And I'm going to be really honest today. One of the things that I really wrestle with as I preach this message is one of the reasons some of us continue to hide the things that we've done in the past is because at some point we've heard a message like this or we've been in a space where we had the courage to actually speak to who we were and guess what happened? The people that you spoke to didn't actually show you the grace and didn't show you the compassion and the kindness that they should have. And so because of the way others have sometimes responded to our stories, we've just gone... That's why we hide our stories. And I'd love to say that anytime you do that, that people are going to respond in a godly manner because the way they respond, if it's not with grace, is not godly. But sometimes we've exposed ourselves to others and they haven't responded with the grace and compassion that we've needed. And so we've learned that it's easier to mask, manage and avoid than to actually speak about the things that bring pain in our life. But by bringing those things that bring pain to the light in the right places, maybe that's the time God can actually do His best work. Sadly, some of us have then taken our human experience to God and we think, well, man, it's just easy to stay clear of God. I don't actually want to talk to him. I don't want to get the prayer thing happening because what if he starts to speak back and actually starts to challenge me on some things in my life? Maybe if I just keep God at a distance, it's going to be easier as well because until I get my stuff together or until I find a way to tell him about the stuff that I'm not sure if he knows about or not, he is God. I think he probably knows, but I don't really want him to bring it up in conversation. So I'm just going to ignore him. I'm going to keep him at a distance and I'm going to stay away from places where God gets brought into the conversation because we keep buying into the lie that if we hide our shame, it's going to be better. You know, none of these are stances of freedom. God wants to say something very, very different to those of you this morning that are sitting here and right now in your mind are thinking, man, I know what he's talking about because every time people, I hate being in church today because I'm instantly thinking about this thing and that thing brings pain. There's a new stance that I reckon the scripture invites us to take. See, as we identify the lie, the next stance is to take hold of the truth. We're invited to take hold of the truth. And the truth is this, the Bible says it doesn't matter what you've done, you are free from condemnation because you are hidden with Christ. You don't need to hide because of what you've done. You're actually, when you come into a relationship, when you discover God and the work of Jesus on your behalf, it's not that it's dependent on how good you've been back there. Actually, it's dependent on you being honest with what's happened back there. And then the grace of God is sufficient for any action, any word, any stupid choice, any bad choice, any deliberate bad choice that you've made. The grace of God is sufficient from that. And Jesus wants to say, you are free from condemnation not because of anything you've done, but because of what I've done on your behalf. You know, a really important uh, discipline that many of us learn in Sunday school, but we've lost a little bit of the art and discipline of this. I think modern technology doesn't help because we just Google the Bible verses. That we, doesn't the Bible say something about, something about shame somewhere? Google shame Bible. Oh, yeah, look, 16 verses. There's something in Ezekiel. How fantastic. I don't think there is. I don't know. We're going to encourage you through this series as part of a discipline of taking hold of the truth. We're going to return to a little bit of uh, an old school church discipline of memorising Scripture. So every week, we're going to give you a memory verse card. Actually, we're not going to give it to you. We're going to give you the capacity to pick it up on your way out the door. Just at the back, there's a table that says, get your memory verse from here. And the memory verse this week is the memory verse we love. I think the notes say, stick it on your mirror. So stick it, get a bit of blue tack or a bit of saliva or something and stick it on the mirror. Some of you just... It's winter, so there's mildew everywhere. Anyway, you just stick it to that. And it'll hold there on your mirror in your bathroom. Set free memory verse. And here's the verse. He's taken hold of the truth when it comes to the area of shame this week. Romans 8, verse one and two. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation For those who are in Christ Jesus, why? But because through Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're in Christ Jesus, it's not what you've done, it's because of what He's done, that there is no condemnation. If you are carrying things in your life that bring great shame, you can continue to live the rest of your life hiding them because you found that it's better to hide them than to deal with them. God wants to invite you into a place where those things are brought into the light so He can deal with them with His grace because some of us have hidden some stuff it has been hidden for so long. It's actually become much bigger in our life than it ever needed to become. And God wants to bring it into the light so He can bring His grace and His forgiveness and look you in the eyes and say, therefore, there is no condemnation. The reason I came wasn't that you had it all together. The reason I came was that you didn't have it together and you need a saviour. We don't need to call Jesus our Lord if we don't need Jesus to be our Lord, but every single one of us needs Jesus to be our Lord and our saviour. That's the good news of who he is and what he's done. You see, Jesus spent some time on a particular day. You've all been wondering what this giant thing is, probably standing out the front of the church. If I stand in front of that, we'll get back. This isn't just left over from the school this week. This is the Gateway Ormo Beach today. Jesus spent some time in the scriptures, scribbling in the sand, drawing in the sand. He wasn't drawing what many of us draw in the sand. We don't actually know what he was drawing. It's a story that's told to us in the gospel of John chapter eight. But it says that Jesus spent some time drawing in the sand or writing in the sand or just scribbling in the sand. We we don't actually know. The Bible doesn't tell us what but it feels like the detail' important enough that we should know that he did, and it was on a particular day where Jesus was hanging out in the market, and some people came to him with a lady that had been caught in the act of adultery and jesus culture it, it was just like one of the things that you know was just you didn't want to get caught doing. There were some pretty terrible punishments if you were caught in the act of adultery. And this lady had been caught in adultery. And so these people dragged her out before Jesus in front of everyone and announce her crime for all to hear. I mean, you're worried about telling somebody some of the stuff you've done. She got dragged out in the public space and had her crime announced for everybody to hear. Uh, sad for this lady, and she's not named in the scripture, but sad for this lady she uh, really was just a pawn in a bit of a power play from some of Jesus' greatest opponents that wanted to try and trip Jesus up on an aspect of the biblical law or Moses' law. And they drag this woman out and say, see this woman here, Jesus? She was caught doing something that our culture and our law and the law of God says is not a good thing. What are you going to do about it? Actually, our law says that she should be stoned right now for what she's done. And they're all sitting back. As I said, they had no care or compassion for this woman. She was just a pawn in their power play with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't do anything. He actually bends down and he starts drawing in the dirt. I'd I'd love to know what he did. I'd love to know what he wrote. It'd be be a cool part of the story. I don't know, but for whatever reason, the gospel writers, maybe they didn't get to see it. They just observed Jesus bent down, drawing stuff in the dirt. It's my best Hebrew right there. And I don't know what Jesus wrote, but I know what they would have written. I know what the guys... And the people that dragged this lady out would have written, they would have written stuff like, you know, guilty. They would have written stuff like condemned. They would have written stuff like, you know, stone her with rocks, not substance. Stone her. (laughs) Sorry. That would have written, lost cause. I know what that was written. We don't know what Jesus wrote, but I know one thing, Jesus didn't write any of those things. What Jesus did was he actually bent down in the sand in some miraculous way in his timing and in his grace and in just his capacity to deal with every situation that came his way, he actually started to do something that was writing a brand new story for that lady's life. See, most of us don't have to have our shameful acts dragged out into the public sphere for everybody to hear. Maybe some of us have. And this woman did. And Jesus has given the opportunity to respond. Is He gonna condemn her? Is He gonna pronounce guilt over her? Is He gonna reject her? Is He gonna look down on her? Is He gonna speak harsh words to her? We don't know because Jesus just paused and starts drawing in the sand. And then He stands up and He says to her, okay, you guys are right. That's the penalty. Any of you standing here right now that don't have any acts in your past that you're ashamed of, don't quite say that. He says, anyone here without seeing you, you cast the first stone. He just stands back. The story says that the older blokes disappeared first. You know, the older we get, the wiser we get. Maybe in this situation, they did get wiser and gone. He's got us there. Suddenly the crowd moves away and there's nobody left in the picture but Jesus and this woman. And he stares at her. And I want to read you his words because they're much, much better and much more important than mine. He says this. He says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down again and wrote on the ground, twice. And at this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. This intimate moment where she knew everybody knew a story, she knew that there was stuff that she was ashamed of. Maybe she wasn't even that repentant when she got caught, but now she's super repentant because she got found out. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? It's like Jesus goes, I'm going to play a little bit of theater here. I'm going to ask the question. I'm just going to get down and keep dramatic pause, drawing a picture of something in the dirt. Jesus stands up and goes, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And listen to the words of Jesus because they're his words to you right now. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and live your life of sin. A couple of really interesting things at play in this story that I want to land us on. I'm going to get Mike and the team to come join me. Firstly, this. Jesus calls the community out into something the community needed to learn. I reckon it's a lesson for us as a community in light of this series. As God starts to expose some people in, uh, some expose some things in people's lives that he wants them to deal with for the sake of their freedom. All of us need to take a stance of grace because your story won't be their story and your sin won't be their sin and the things that you're ashamed of are gonna be different from the things that they're ashamed of. But Jesus' question to us corporately is the same question. He who is without sin, you throw the first stone. And if we're smart, every one of us should walk away as well. If you still find yourself there wanting to cast a stone, I'd love to spend some time with you, maybe just helping you see the blind spot in your life, which is the sin that so easily entangles you. All of them moved away because Jesus found them out. None of them could cast a stone because none of them had it all together. And we know in God's economy, your not togetherness and my not togetherness are never compared. If your not togetherness is pride and yours is greed and yours is lying and yours is adultery and yours is you know, financial mismanagement and yours is you, just the language that comes out of your mouth or whatever it is, whatever sin you want to attach to anything, whatever your sin is and my sin is, they're gonna be different. But God doesn't look at us through the lens or some hierarchy of you're a little bit better and you're a little bit worse. He just says, does anyone here have no sin? because I'm here as a saviour for sinners. And so I need to find out those that have enough self-awareness to recognise their need for a saviour. And if you recognise your need for a saviour, now's your time to walk away and let me do what I need to do with this woman right now. She doesn't need you judging her. She doesn't need you telling her what to do. She doesn't need you giving her the next steps in her journey. You just walk away for a minute and deal with yourself because I've got something I need to speak to her. And in that moment, Jesus looks her in the eye and says, they can't condemn you, but guess what? I can and I choose not to. I do not condemn you. And then He says, you know what? I actually really want your freedom. So I'm not giving you, my grace right now. I'm not showing compassion into your story right now. I'm not bringing my forgiveness into your story right now so that you can just go and live the same mistakes. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know what? Because your life of sin is the thing that landed you here today. And if you walk out today having an encounter with my grace and just return back to the thing that got you here in the first place, it's not gonna be good for you. God doesn't do it to condemn you. He does it because He knows what's best for you. And He'd wanna say to you today, whatever it is that you've done, my grace is enough. I wanna stare you in the eye and say that thing you are ashamed of. No one here can condemn you. And guess what? I could condemn you, but I choose not to. I do not condemn you because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But He'd also wanna say, now go and leave your life of sin. Go and write a brand new story in your life. Jesus says, I'm writing a brand new story for your life in this moment because I'm giving you a clean slate. The tide has come in and it's washed over the shame in your life that has held you down for so long. I'm telling you that that action or that act or that stupidity or that thing that you've held on your whole life back there, like the waves on the beach, I'm gonna wash it clean so you can have a fresh start. Don't go and write the same story. Let's write a brand new story together. One that comes as you step into the reality of my grace. and as you step into the reality of my no condemnation and as you step into the reality of my freedom. God wants to write a brand new story for some of us today as we choose to not live the lie that we've got to keep hiding because of the things that we've done, but we choose to bring them into his light, receive his grace, see his face staring at us saying, I do not condemn you. Now go and write a new story with your life we're going to land today doing two things. We're going to sing a song that you feel you should sing in this series. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my savior has rescued me. Your chains are gone. You've been set free. Not because you got better. Not because you worked harder. Not because you got on a self-improvement channel that got you to some place where you just can ignore the past and your chains are gone, you've been set free because of what Jesus has done for you. But I'm also gonna give you the chance because some of us actually need to do something physical in response. And so we've got the beach here for a reason. We would love you to come forward as your response this morning and just say, God, today, I wanna write a brand new story. I'm not going to choose to let that thing be the anchor that holds me back forever. I'm going to find someone or I'm going to spend some time myself just bring it before you. I'm going to name it. I'm going to speak it out. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to ask your grace and your forgiveness just to overwhelm me. And then we're going to write a new story together. And today, maybe your act of just saying to God, let's, let's do this. Let's write a new story. is I'm going to invite you to come out and just write a word or a phrase or draw a little picture or something that just reflects your new story that you want to write, that God's going to write with you. It might just be forgiven. It might, you can write all write the same word. Don't feel like you need to write something different. Whatever the word is for you. i write a new story, God. It's going to be a new story with my family. It's going to be a new story. With my finances, it's going to be a new story. God, And what I'm going to do with my life, I'm going to write a new story that actually sees me starting to give my life on behalf of others. I'm going to write a new story that's actually a story of grace. I'm not actually going to live trying to earn your favor anymore. I'm going to live through the power and the freeing reality of your grace. That's my new story that we're going to write. As we sing, I'm going to invite you to come out and just write your word or draw your picture or do whatever you need to do. That's the word God puts on your heart about the new story that he wants to write in your life. And as you do that, I'm going to invite some of our uh, team, some of our campus leadership team, some of our ministry team, as we always say in this church there are no professional prayers so if you have a heart to pray for those that want to come and stand we're just going to give people the opportunity to come and stand and have some people pray over them that God might help them identify the lie take hold of the truth and walk into a new freedom in the spirit we're just going to pray God's courage over you God's grace over you you don't have to confess everything to that group you might need to find somebody to speak it out to but you find the right person But we just want to pray with you as you take the step of walking out of shame into freedom. Jesus, I want to thank you that you have come so that we can be free. God, all of us have got things that we wish we could rewind our life story to a point and change the way we did things. Or maybe not speak the word we spoke or send the email we sent or made the decision that we made or... Open up the website. God, there's probably a point all of us think if I could just change that, the the trajectory and the story of my life would look really, really different right now. But God, we know that that can't happen, but we know that we can step into a brand new future today and tomorrow that's not affected by the stories we've written in our past. God, you and your grace want to write a brand new story in our life. You want to look us in the eye and speak your words of grace and hope and favor. You want to tell us that we too are not condemned. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what you've done. God, I want to pray those words, neither do I condemn you, would be true for some people here today, that they may discover the depth and the freedom of your grace in a brand new way. May they find people that represent you really well on this earth, God, and actually speak your grace and your life into them. God, bring a new freedom in hearts and minds and lives today and help write some brand new stories, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church.